Hello, and welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I'm Keith Bergun. Um, so today I've got a conversation with Adam Stewart from One Man Left Games. Um, if you don't know One Man Left, they were developers, are, sort of, question mark, uh, developers, uh, parentheses, developer, parentheses, S, uh, working on, uh, right now, Hex Gambit. A Hex Gambit Respawn, which is a new version of Hex Gambit, but they are most popular for um, Tilt to Live on iOS and Outwitters also on iOS. And um, Outwitters in particular for me was a was a revelation and uh, a really brilliant game. And I always um, appreciated them and followed them ever since that game came out. And if you haven't played Outwitters, I think it's still available on iOS and I recommend checking it out. It's, it's free to play. It's a really great multiplayer tactics game. Um, and, uh, they're just, you know, they, they also, I, I, I feel a lot of sort of kinship with them because they, you know, came up at the same time as my team, Dino Farm Games did. And, uh, and they have sort of followed a similar trajectory if, uh, their, their bumps were a lot higher, uh, than ours were. Uh, they, they did quite well with, uh, Tilt to Live and, um, were able to sort of enter into like a full-time development uh, phase that uh, I never really got that opportunity to to try that. But um, they they went on to make Outwitters, um, and it was a really long and complicated and difficult uh, 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 development uh, process where they were trying to do something really, uh, you know, ethical in terms of the free-to-play situation. And um, I think they won a lot of really good favor uh, we talk a lot about a lot about all this stuff in the conversation itself, so I won't go too much into it. But they're just a really interesting story, a really um, great uh, team, uh, and uh, so yeah, I'm excited to present this uh, conversation with you. Uh, I wanted to give a couple of quick updates. Um, one huge update, if you haven't heard it yet. So my tactics game that I've been working on is called Gem Wizards Tactics. And uh, it's a, you know, multiplayer turn-based, uh, sorry, one-player turn-based tactics game uh, at focusing on one player. Uh, and, uh, and, and I recently, I've been working on it for about, I don't know, I want to say like nine months or so. And it's coming along really well. And just uh, this week, we got Brett Lowy. Uh, who has been on this podcast before. He is the developer behind uh, Brain Good Games, and he has joined the team to work on Gem Wizards Tactics, and which is massive. Like, that's going to be a complete game changer. That's going to give us so much more resources to be able to actually make this game be what it needs to be. I'm super excited about that. Um, also, uh, No More Birds, Pete Szynski, who you may have heard in a recent episode talking about... Uh, Dark Souls has also joined the team to um, as a game design consulting and playtesting, and also he's going to be doing some intro artwork for the intro uh, scene uh, when you start the game. So yeah, the, the development on that game is going really, really well, and I'm super excited about that. Um, for me personally, I'm still working on the port of Universal Paperclips for the Unity port, which has been rather stressful and uh, difficult, and I am uh, trying to hang in there and, and get it get it done. I'm right near the end now. I'm working on the combat. Uh, spoiler, there is combat in Universal Paperclips. Um, but uh, I'm working on that. Uh, if you haven't played Universal Paperclips, you should, of course, go do that. 
Anyways, uh, those are my quick little updates. Uh, thank you for listening to this show. Um, if you are a patron, I have some more cool uh, patron-only content coming soon for you guys, as well as builds. We're going to have a build of Gem Wizards Tactics by the end of this week uh, that has some amazing new stuff in it. So um, thank you for listening. And uh, without any further ado, I bring you my conversation with Adam Stewart. All right, Adam Stewart, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I've been wanting to have you guys on the show for a very long time. Uh, thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So one of the main reasons that I really have wanted to have, I mean, there's two main reasons I wanted to have you guys uh, on the show. And uh, one of them is I think that you are some of the best game developers out there. Um, I really appreciate your work a lot um, more. And I... I'm not a huge appreciator of uh, game uh, designers and, and game developers. Like I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm rather jaded and cynical, but I really um, like what you guys do. And so that's reason number one. Number two is um, actually, uh, I think that your guys like sort of trajectory and the way that you, um, you know, the, the time that you came up and then the time that you sort of like, uh, I guess uh, one man left is like sort of uh, I don't I don't know if like you're operating it's on a, it's complicated <laughs> yeah. exactly and and I have a team my team Dino Farm Games has a similar trajectory and is in a similar state right now as well and um, where it's like sort of operating at like low power mode or something um, and <laughs> like uh, yeah yeah so so anyway there I, there's a lot I want to talk to you about I think you guys um, you know you uh, so. Give me the background about yourself, like how you came to form One Man Left, um, and uh, then I have some other questions after that. All right, well, me and uh, One Man Left is a two-man studio. It's me and Alex Okafor, where it was. That's We'll get to that later, I guess. Um, I met Alex in high school. We went to a vocational high school that had like a computer in every classroom. I'd never had a computer before, and he was uh, just curious in general. So he taught himself Photoshop. And then I was like, Hey, that's really cool. Teach me Photoshop. And, uh, so he, he taught me, we had a website we, we post artwork on called barbed wire productions with like a, a little nice. flash navigation and stuff. And he got into uh, flash action script and started doing little flash games. Mm -hmm. And we just sort of fell into, I'll do the artwork, you do the code and we'll just sort of like collaborate on what the rules for the game will be and just sort of spitball ideas and have fun with it. And like from high school through college and after college, we always had something, some side project that we were working on. None of them that we sold just for the fun of it. Mm -hmm. We would make games. And uh, it was after college at some point he came to me with uh, the iPhone was a new big thing and he wanted to get in on that and try to sell his first app. And he was like, will you help me do the artwork for it? Uh, it was a tilt to live prototype. It had a like a space background. It was called Tilter Space, which mm -hmm. is a terrible name. <laughs> and uh, the, there was red dots and a white arrow and nukes uh, that were just circles, which pretty much stayed to the end of the of development. But mm -hmm. yeah, from there we we were uh, we spitball ideas for weapons and talk about usability and just try really hard to make it accessible and to stick to tilt only as a as a game design like mantra for it. Mm -hmm. 
so that was our first project. We did that all part-time. Uh, he had a full-time job and I remember he got snowed in once and uh, that was his first week where he didn't have to go to work and he was a full-time game developer. Oh, nice. And he got a ton of stuff done that week. That's funny. Uh, but yeah, we launched it and to our shock, it shot up the charts and we uh, we did well enough with the first one. We got lucky and we uh, had enough money to start up our own thing and quit our jobs and that's mm. how one man left started that's amazing yeah it's funny because uh, so that was around the same time i also got involved in in games and i remember i had a similar thing where like we were doing it part-time just in the same way and there was one like or i think there's one or two like sort of weekends or or a few you know a few day periods that we uh so there was like a web design studio that um wanted to get into making iphone games because there was this big like rush you know everyone was like oh my god we got to make iphone games that's how you can make so much money um and uh and so they had us come to their studio in rochester which is about five hour drive from us and we went there and i remember we would just like work all day and we actually slept in the office on the floor um and that was like our our first like we're full-time <laughs> game developers uh moment back in like 2009 or so um which i think is the same time period you're talking about right around 2009 yeah built to live we worked on from like september 2009 and we launched it in february 2010 i think yeah yeah exactly our game was in may of 2010 and uh yeah so that's great that 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 really took off and then uh after that the next game was outwarders is that right yeah we uh if you have a hit don't abandon your hit until you're tired of until you have like plenty of money and you're and you're done with it because the next game is like a hundred percent a different thing. Mm -hmm. none, of, none of the success of the success rolls over, especially when you switch um, genres and everything. Like yeah, this is a complete one eighty from Tilt to Live. Right. And, uh, yeah, I, I got bored with doing dots, and Alex mm. was working on some update for Tilt to Live, and I was prototyping. And I can't code, so it was prototypes done in Adobe Illustrator. Like, I'd group objects together and you alt-drag to spawn new ones. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit, you know, it worked really well, but it was pretty janky. Uh, and we would do, like, a screen share and play test in Illustrator. And that was, uh, the Outwitters prototype came about that way. Cool. Yeah, so what what were the big inspirations for Outwitters? Uh, was Was that both, like... Was that one of your ideas originally, or like are both of you really into tactics, tactical war games, that kind of thing? Outwitters was uh, was one of my prototypes, and I I had never played a tactics game before. I w I didn't think of it as a tactics game while I was making it. I was just sort of like, uh, I'll have a board. I'll use hexes because I like the way they look. Um, I like the way that the diagonal trajectories look when you use squares. It does like the you know the disconnected squares. Uh -huh. It's just not as pretty to me. So I was like, yeah, we'll do hexes. And then it was just sort of like logic decisions that kind of evolved into a tactics game, I guess is what you would call it. Uh, uh, I, okay, so I have to comment about that because I've had this theory for a long time that people who haven't played video games, generally speaking, have better sensibilities about video games than people who have played them. And uh, you have your decisions sort of made for you. Yeah, and also don't have all these like weird grandfathered in um, sort of uh, like expectations and things that, you know, like, oh, all tactics games have blah, 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 you know, whatever it is. And so right. you as someone who hadn't played a tactics game, like you say, you just thought like, okay, well, we're going to have little, you know, units moving around. We're going to have like a grid and stuff and like what, what rules would make sense. Now, I, when I played Outwaters for the first time, 
I had already been playing tactics games like crazy for many, many years. And to me, I, I saw your design and I was like, oh my God, this is like visionary. You know, like there's certain things about this that are like so brilliant and so like elemental and smart. And, you know, and, and I'm not taking any of that back. Like that's all true. It's just interesting to me as like just a, a point of thought about, you know, games and game design and video games. And, uh, and the fact that you were not like some seasoned, you know, grognard or something uh, that you were like, uh, coming at it fresh and how that actually allowed you to make something which, you know, I mean, that game is, uh, is, is brilliant and, and it's very accessible. And it also had a very, uh, serious competitive play, uh, scene from what I remember, uh, at, at a certain point at least. Um, oh yeah. There's still people playing it that are, that are pretty hardcore about it. Yeah. 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 So, um, that is that is really cool, and uh, I also appreciate the, the the point that you make about uh, how if you have a hit, like you know, just keep like hammering that for basically until it dies. You know, yeah, uh, we I, got I, fatigued. I wanted to I wanted to do characters. I wanted to do more complicated game rules. I was just you know bored with Tilt to Live. It's a pretty simple, straightforward game to design. Right, and uh, that was uh, and when you when your first game is a hit, our sense of the market was whatever we do is going to do the same thing as the first one did because mm -hmm. we don't know any different right 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 uh, yeah i think about that a lot too a lot of these game developers who have who've sort of like they're they are able to take that first hit and like roll it into the next big hit sometimes and they're like they just they have never had the experience of not uh not having a hit you know um uh, yeah, we took a lot of risk with Outwitters. Like it was a free-to-play game when free-to-play was new. It did not use any of the free-to-play things that they tell you to do because those are the ways that they make money. Mm -hmm. It it sold only content. There was no consumables or anything. And right. we did a lot of that on purpose uh, because we were trying to be you know ethical game designers. Yeah, that's another interesting dynamic of that whole thing. Um, and another thing I really appreciated about it, I mean, I will say that, you know, while you guys, uh, and, and there was articles and stuff about how, um, uh, how you know, uh, Outwitters did not make, uh, I don't know if it end, ended up like, ended up turning around at any certain point, but there was that article that came out about like, uh, Apple's favorite strategy game uh, is a financial disaster about yeah. Outwitters. Yeah. I greenlit um, that article because I was like, there's no such thing as bad press, right? And then it's, <laughs> they're on the internet forever. <laughs> right. It's like, fine. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's, the but game, the, what... the game did, the game did uh, well. It's not a worst selling game or anything. It mm -hmm. was just to break even on the two years that we put into it and then also pay for additional um, updates. It wasn't doing that, like paying salary for two people and then yeah. also paying for paying ahead for the next set of content. Gotcha, we did the right. Not to update and our, our update um, pipeline was, it took too long. Like, I think it was three months to get a team in mm -hmm. and that's a lot of dev time. Right. Yeah, well, but what I was gonna say though is like even, you know, the financial stuff aside, like some of those decisions that you guys made, like particularly the free to play model that you went with and that kind of thing, like, you know, uh, there there's a lot of people I think out there who you know have really strong like positive feelings towards you and your team, and um, you know, so I don't know. It's like I so the big thing that I want to kind of try to get at with this conversation is, um, you know, like how can developers 
like you and like myself, like how can we make uh, a living out of game development? Is that even possible? And, you know, like how can we take that? Because there's goodwill, I think. That's kind of what I've been saying is that like, I think you have developed a good amount of goodwill with uh, with Outwitters and with other games that you've made. And, you know, it's like there there has to be a way to sort of like make that, take that and and, you know, make it so that you can make the great games that you want to make and uh, like have at least some kind of uh, survival uh, mechanism um, as a human being. So like, I don't know, do you have any thoughts about that? Like now, I guess let's let's fast forward a little bit. I do want to talk about Hex Gambit and other games, but let's fast forward a little bit. And like, what are you doing now? What do you see as your, um, maybe do you have a vision for like what you want to do going forward in games or um, just talk a little bit about that? Uh, where I've landed is we had um, our last our last good launch was Space Food Truck, and that was in 2016. Uh, we spent two years working on Hex Gambit the first, and that one came and flopped, and the uh, production was taking twice as long as we'd estimated it would take, and we just kind of like ran out of ran out of steam to keep going forward. Uh, Alex had to go find a real job because we were making so little money that it was like impossible for him as a single person with no health insurance coming from the spouse that's like an advantage that i have that he doesn't have mm -hmm. so he was like look I, I it's getting dangerous i'm gonna go find a job now and i was like no no uh no hard feelings here go do your thing yeah 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 um so he had to get out and then i was faced with it was it's less of a financial thing because i have a little bit of um i've got some savings from tilt to live still i invested it like immediately and a lot of the interest from those investments have funded like some of our sound design and uh and stuff like that mm -hmm. so i've got it it's not paying a salary but it's sort of like making the bleed a little less than it would be mm -hmm. if i was just like no income from anywhere right um and we get some residuals from from our old games which doesn't amount to much but it's something and uh so anyway i was left in that position and i was like i can be i've, I've thought of myself as a game designer for the last 10 years so I could go be an artist again, which is not what I do full-time or what I've done full-time for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So I'm not like an amazing artist. I'm not as practiced as most people are in the market. Uh, or I could like, I feel like I'm really good at game design. Uh, and it gives me enough confidence to just give it a shot. I was like, can I learn, uh, can I learn how to make games on my own, Alex? If I, if I learn this blueprint thing, will I be able to make and ship a, an idea that I have? And he said, yeah, pretty much if you put in the work. Hmm. So I've been all of 2019 uh, just eating, you know, the deficit, watch, watch the savings shrink and just learn how to make stuff in Blueprint. Nice. And I could get it to the point where it was where I could put it on Steam and like do the whole thing myself. And that uh, that worked out pretty well. And Hex Gamut felt like a game that I had a head start on mm -hmm. uh, since the game design was already fun. And that's the hard part of making a game. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the original game didn't have any local play, and that was the best way to play it, uh, was back and forth with someone, not asynchronously like we had it. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, I could do a local version of that, and since I don't know networking, that works for me. Hmm. Um, and so for the next, uh, I've, I'm giving myself till 2021 20, to finish this project, and at the end of it, it will either generate enough money uh, to continue on my own because I don't have to split it 50-50 anymore, or I have a uh, a project that I can show to people. Hey, I am a game designer, and here is a game that I made uh, without without a programmer, and it give me some career options there too. So it feels like uh, I do not know what will happen at the end of it. 
Sure, sure. So, but you're basically saying like your feeling is like this is like one of your last shots, at least in the local future, to make your own, like to you know be a solo indie dev sort of, and then after that you're gonna look at like you know I guess like joining a team of some sort, right? And yeah, I'll read the room and see what's uh, <laughs> see what's available. Right, right, but, uh, right. I, I, it feels like a win-win to me, and mm -hmm. um, you know either I'll start getting normal income like a normal human when by getting a job somewhere or. Uh, or the game will do well and I'll get to keep doing this crazy thing I'm doing. Uh, yeah. You know, YOLO, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what I figure. I mean, I'm yeah, you can do it now. Might as well. Yeah, exactly. You got like, I, I do think you have a, a real knack for design. And I do think that, um, you know, if anyone can do it, I think that you can. And, um, but it's, it, it's, yeah, it's just, it's so crazy. I, I've been doing, I have a similar story actually. And I've been, I, I'm sort of like, I've over the last few years, I've learned to sort of become a solo dev because um, I had the same thing. My, my partner also needed to take up a, a major job to just survive. Um, and uh, actually, do you know Killer Queen, uh, Killer Queen Black by any chance? It's out on Switch and stuff. But anyway, he did all the art for that. And that's what he's been doing the last few years. And um, uh, so so I've been more doing some a lot more of my own stuff uh, during that time. And um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting situation. Um, I, I don't know if you have feelings about like this whole um, uh, like indie apocalypse meme um, and whether going since like 20, 2012 or something. It's yeah, pretty... for every year that I can remember in the past. Like yeah, every year other than like what, like 2009 to 2012, just about like somewhere in there. Yeah, there was a there was a nice time when um, what was it Braid was out, <laughs> and then everything after that in the apocalypse. Right, exactly. Uh, well, and it's and it has. It seems like it has to the extent that that's pointing to anything real. It seems like it has, um, you know, maybe gotten a little bit harder. Uh, it's gotten crowded. It's gotten super crowded. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, actually, I do. I do want to hear you. You talk a little bit uh, about Hex Gambit um, because Hex Gambit um, was. I, I didn't play that one as much as I played Outwitters, um, and I think maybe that had something to do with the way that you know it was launched and stuff like that. Um, but, Are you talking uh, about the original? The original Hex Gambit. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, was asynchronous only, and. Uh, like you would download the the user experience was I would download the game. There was a local uh, like a single player mode that we did in a month, and it was our first AI that we'd ever done, and it was pretty bad. Mm. <laughs> like it was poorly executed because we had no time. Right. Um, and then you could take one turn against uh you know an opponent you hadn't matched to yet, and then if you came back tomorrow, you might have another turn to take, and it was just not a great way to play the game. Right. Yeah. I think I, I wonder why, I guess it was like, because it was on PC. I played it on PC. I forget if it was in other uh, platforms as well, but we like I wanted on... to get the switch and we were like gearing up for the controller support section of development when it was like, no, I don't think we're going to, I don't think we have the kind of time that we need to get this done. I got to go. Right. right. Read of it. Well, I have to ask, like, from a design perspective, um, what was the, like, sort of top-level idea um, for, for Hex Gambit? I guess I was, for me, I was a little bit surprised that it wasn't, like, Outwitters 2 or something like that. And I wonder, like, what what was your thinking, um, either aesthetically or design-wise? Like, what was the idea behind making Hex Gambit instead of, like, Outwitters 2? Or, like, what was the basic, like, core, you know, prop uh, idea for... Um, Gambit, Hex Gambit. 
Well, the the core of why it wasn't in Outlaws Two was we feel like you'd have to there when you make a sequel, you don't want to change too many things, and uh, changing platforms would be a big deal. And we were scared of mobile at that point, so we were like, no, let's just um. I've been prototyping Outwitter stuff basically since probably before we stopped production on that first content update for it. I've been thinking about another another tactics game for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's it sort of evolved, and I found a direction that I liked. I wanted something that was... I, I've always had this vision of, I'm going to make a game, and then when we hang out with our friends, we can all sit down and play it because it's a multiplayer game. Sure. And we've never had a game that can do it. Like uh, uh, Space Food Truck takes two hours or something to play, so half my friends don't have the patience for that. Right. Uh, Outwitters, you have Fog of War, so you can't share a screen. Mm. So it's like one person is engaged and everyone else just waits. Ah, but this so is one. That was a, that was a big screen. reason for the no Fog of War in, in Hex Gambit then. Yeah, and the ah. gameplay is such that uh, the Fog of War would be meaningless. I don't know if you uh, spend enough time with it to play around with the crowd surfing and things like that, but you can change the board a lot with three AP in a turn. Yeah. Uh, just from all the, the ways that, that units can push each other around or bounce off of each other. And right. that was actually Oro. Uh, I, I will admit that I never played Oro. I watched the trailer on touch arcade because we were all following touch arcade at the time. Mm-hmm. And I saw, I saw the Oro trailer and I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I saw all the, all the monsters get pushed and then some of them fall into a pit mm-hmm. and it, and it, and it like unlocked something that I had been struggling or it just unlocked something for me with my tactics um, prototypes where it's not just move next to someone and then attack. They can interact with each other in all kinds of ways. You can push them around, you can jump over them and crowd surfing and all that stuff came after that where I was, where I had that realization where I was like, Oh, this is, this is a way this is a way forward where you can do something really interesting. I wanted to make something that was like Outwitters, but fixed the uh, my personal issues with it. Because, you know, you play it for long enough, you start to have some preferences. Mm-hmm. I wanted something faster. I wanted something um, without Fog of War that you could play alongside someone where you could pass the turns back and forth and both stay engaged. And that was that was sort of the, the nugget of, of Hex Gambit. And the, the aesthetics and things... I think it started out more like a medieval look. And then Alex was like, they're all medieval. Do something else. So I started <laughs> looking at, uh, ironically, Castle Crashers, which I know is medieval, but they look like Power Rangers, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I could do some like kind of robot Power Ranger people. And that was, that was sort of where the aesthetic evolved out of. And the captains were just like whatever weird people or animals or whatever I could think of. Let's do 10 of those. Nice. The uh, the art, uh, the aesthetics in Hex Gambit, I was really impressed by it. It looked like uh, another level of, um, I guess that's uh, in in um, Unreal Engine. Yeah, I'd always been building towards, I learned a little bit of 3D. I'd been learning a little bit of 3D, and then we never used it for a game. We used it a little bit on Tilt to Live 2. There's a few 3D elements, like I think the arrow is 3D. Um, and, and the ball, uh, the, the little fire boulder thing. But I'd I'd wanted to you know take it to that level because I've always had I've always wanted to push it. Uh, you know I've done this now I want to push and do something a little bit bigger a little bit sure. more uh, a little bit flashier, yeah. So, so I, I felt like I've always been building towards 3D and then I finally kind of figured that out and that was when I hit the point where it was like all right you can become an artist now and go back and forget everything you just learned about Unreal or you can just like double down and learn the blueprint side of it and just do the whole thing yourself. 
That's cool. So what's the what? So there is a so you're you're making a new version of Hex Gambit, or or what exactly are you doing with Hex Gambit now? Well, uh, I did for the year that I was learning Blueprint. I did like a action RPG thing where it's mostly just answering my own questions, like how does level streaming work? Uh, how do you do controller support? And and can I do these things without getting into C plus plus? And it turned out I could do all of that. And uh, then I was like, okay, now I need a real project that will not take this long to finish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Hex Gambit, I had all the characters, I had all the animations. Uh, the, a lot of the game design was done, though I tweaked a bunch when I, when I went back and re-implemented stuff to make it a little friendlier for local play. Um, what was I just talking about? What was the question? <laughs> uh, uh, like, so what's what's what are what are we what can we expect next from you game wise? Like, you're making a new version of Hex Gambit, is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's um, I I took the assets uh that I had a head start on and the game design that I had a head start on, and I was like, all right, let's uh let's roll with it. And basically from scratch, the only thing that came over from the old project were uh the characters and some of the textures. And then all the environments are rebuilt because I didn't like what I'd done before. And uh, a lot of the rules have been rethought. Um, some of the stuff about locked moves is gone and replaced with something that makes a little more sense. But uh, just tweaking it to try and make it more approachable. The goal being, I want it to be that game that I was talking about where you can sit down with a group of pretty much anyone and go, hey, do you guys want to play a game? There's no reflexes required. All you got to do is point the controller at that dude and then tell him where to go. Uh, and I. I think I'm hitting the target. Like it really feels like I've, like I've got something like them. I'm getting close to that because I, I'm able to play with my wife, and my wife hates video games. Mm-hmm. She does like board games though. And, nice. Uh, she picked it up and she picked it up and got competitive really quick to the point where she was really mad at me for. Um, <laughs> she said, "You invented it. And you know all the tricks, and you're just just showing off." And I was like, "You beat me in the last game, and I had to win my honor back." Nice. <laughs> That's funny. But for her to be that emotionally invested in in, in a video game is a big deal. So yeah, that, that's that is encouraging. So, but this is going to be its own new product, right? Like its own new game with its Completely, own title. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a Hex Gambit Respawn, and that's exactly what it what it sounds like. I I am resurrecting the uh, the game design, tweaking it a little bit to make it friendlier for local play. Uh, it's going to have a whole lot more features. It's already got a much more features than the original had. I've got full working AI that I that isn't as uh, as buggy as the old one. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. It's cool yeah. to see it like because Hex Gambit. I was really bu- I was most bummed, not that it didn't perform financially, but that it didn't meet my expectations of what I wanted to make. Mm. So this is a chance to, at the very least, even if this one bombed, to be able to like redeem that and have something I can stand by and say I made that, and it is awesome. Yeah, and and like I, I really think there's a lot of value in that at the very least, and and that's something that I you know I, I think about a lot is like you know just having this thing out in the world that you can refer to and that other people can play and that you know you never know maybe someone who uh, who has you know the capacity to like help you out in some way plays it and is like oh my god I see why this is really special and really great and uh, and so those are those are really cool great things to have. Uh, although I, you know, obviously I, I really hope that, um, this also just takes off. I, I like, so, uh, cause I think competitive, uh, sorry, but like multiplayer we games. Have, um, we have a demo out actually. If you go to steam hex gambit respawn, you can uh-huh. grab the demo and it's okay. got, um, I have an update coming to it this weekend that adds some things and fixes some things. 
Nice. But I'm gonna. You can, already, you can already try it out if you're curious. I will put that uh, some some links in the show notes to that. Um, uh, so is it coming just to PC or is it coming to any uh, consoles? I have a Switch dev kit and I don't know how to use it, but <laughs> I'm gonna get Alex to give me. We had a we had the contract and everything lined up for it to go to Switch originally. I do not know how much of that rolls over or even where that starts. Um, if I can get it onto any console, really, I would be very happy about that. It's got the controller support already, and that was a big hurdle for us last time because mm-hmm. um, we had to adapt it from being uh, mouse and keyboard only to also using controls. But this one works either way. Uh, it was built that way. Right. So it, the path is there. Um, it's just sort of a matter of if I can figure it out as a guy that doesn't know C++ or find someone to help me figure it out. Well, I'll, I'll get to that once I have a game. Because, uh, like, it's hard to get somebody to help you out with something when you can't show it to them, so. So, uh, is local multiplayer on the PC, like, more of a thing uh, now these days? Because I, I wasn't aware of that as, as much. I do not know what is a thing, but okay. the, um, <laughs> it, it's because it's what I can do. And, sure, know, sure. And it's my own. The uh, Steam Remote Play, I, I've experimented with that, and that works pretty well. Nice. You, can, uh, you sort of stream it from one computer, and then, you know, the other people can connect their controllers and play that way if they want to gotcha but, uh, the way that we had been play testing it was with a laptop hooked up to the tv and just some controllers in there so it's like console-esque and that that's a fun way to play nice uh, that's that's very cool um so i have a few more questions about one man uh, about uh, outwitters specifically because i have some people in my community who are like big outwitters uh players and fans cool. and yeah. they're they're like asking me these questions about outwitters um so <laughs> One qu- one question is, uh, it looks like it was marketed to casual players in terms of, like, I guess, the art and aesthetics and stuff, uh, but it's actually really competitive. Did you find the right player base immediately? Did the focus or demographic shift between the initial release and later on? Wanted it to be... Um, my I think my default aesthetic is, is sort of just, you know, uh, Nintendo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just friendly, friendly looking stuff. I haven't really made anything that doesn't that's that's grittier maybe i got all that out of my system in high school when i drew you know all the monsters and the the bloody scenes and things sure uh but yeah i mean you i wanted to make it um you want to make it where it has a wide appeal to everyone so i tried to make um you know you got the adorables if you want something cute and and or just want to be ironic uh you got the the feedback if you want something cooler looking and uh i think the veggie knots are pretty cool also uh, I just have fun doing that kind of character design, like that Nickelodeon aesthetic for some reason is just how it comes out. Yeah, no, this is an, to me, this is an interesting question because I think like, I think there is something to this, like um, in terms of like, so I make tactical, you know, games, turn-based games. Right now I'm making a tactical war game and I'm I'm thinking a lot about like how, um, how certain things communicate certain ideas about what this product's going to be and um, so like, I, I tend to think that like with Oro, we are, the art was like, you know, pretty cute. And I think, I think that signaled to a lot of people that it would be like a Zelda kind of experience, whereas it's more of like a, you know, a punishing, like roguelike ish sort of, um, experience yeah, I was pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, you know, it has like a single player ELO and whatever. So it's not that it's like hard exactly. Like it, it balances to how, how how good you are but 
but it's but it's like a you know it's a match based thing it's it's competitive it's like you know you have to focus and think and it's very like it's doesn't it's not like bejeweled or something where it's like you kind of like you don't even think about it and you're just getting all these like huge points you know flashing in your face it's very like it's cerebral in the way that and and so i was thinking about somebody like uh you know michael bro and his games I'm not aware, no. Okay, yeah, he makes these games like 868 Hack and Imbroglio and... Uh, but anyway, they're, they're roguelike-y kind of, but he makes the aesthetics such that like it's very clear that this is not for like a mass market appeal another example would be like ascii art in something like uh dwarf fortress or something oh yeah uh, yeah yeah you know well, um i think outwitters um their gameplay wasn't uh meant to be only for hardcore people like it's uh it's a pretty approachable like there's like every everybody can do two things so it's pretty um I, I wanted to make it have not a lot of stats and numbers to get in your way uh, so that anybody could pretty much sit down and go, oh, he moves too, I get it. Right. Uh, but then have enough depth in the interactions and the way that the capture points work and the dynamics there that if you wanted to take it seriously and compete, it doesn't fall flat <laughs> when you start yeah. taking it seriously. So uh, just trying to make something for everyone has always sort of been our, our marketing uh, aesthetic, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think for what it's worth, I, I love the aesthetics of Outwarders. And I think that, you know, it, it really works for that. I think that there might be some kinds of games where it might be a good move to like sort of in, you know, uh, like market, like, because like art, a lot of the time, the art in a game is, you know, it's it's very much part of like the marketing, obviously, like, you know, when you are you know, spreading links around and videos and whatever, like that's what people are seeing mostly is the art. And so like art can signal like what kind of experience it's going to be. And, um, you know, I, I generally agree with you. Like I, I want all my games to look like Nintendo, like, uh, or like, you know, uh, something, some like cute and, and ap approachable and, and, and not like threatening and scary. Uh, and, but I do wonder about like, you know, do I shoot myself in the foot at ever in, a, in any kind of way with that? Or, or I wondered not? the same because I was looking through the strategy. Uh, we were in the Steam Games Festival and I was looking at the other strategy games. And I was like, man, my game is weird <laughs> compared to this stuff. <laughs> right. It's a lot of war and a lot of a lot of knights. And I'm like, oh, man, I should have done war <sighs> or knights. Yeah. But, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe <sighs> maybe it'll work out. The uh, I, I wanted it to be able, or for, for what I'm going for, if I want anybody to sit down and, and go, yeah, sure, I'll give it a shot. You want it to look inviting. I, I mm -hmm. think I'm okay with that. Right. I, yeah, I agree. Uh, so the other question I have is, um, did you balance the game for casual play or for high-level play? And did you have to rebalance the game or the factions later on when like certain strategies emerged in high-level play? I'm sure the answer to that last one is yes, right? Oh, At yeah. some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We... Uh, and the and the uh, the user base is not shy about letting you know when they think something is unfair, mm -hmm. and explaining to you in like a they'll write you a little novel <laughs> about yeah. why it's wrong, and and Alex would just go, oh, they're theory crafting, and I go, no, but let's sit down and see if there's something to it, mm -hmm. and and dig through it and try and and try and get to the crux of it. It's very hard, hard especially with Outwitters because the numbers and everything are so small mm -hmm. uh, that there's very little wiggle room to change things without just like all right scrap all these all these stats let's re let's redo how damage and numbers work mm -hmm. uh but yeah we had a bunch of times where we had to we tried to balance it for high level play because it had the competitive league and stuff that was alex's big 
add to it. He was all excited about the league matchmaking because he's playing a lot of um, StarCraft. So he's modeling our league system off something like that. Yeah, so, I, I, I noticed that. And that was really, really cool. I thought that was like yeah. a great feature about the game. We wanted it to be easy to use so that if you weren't taking it seriously, you were still having fun, but then also stand up to scrutiny. And uh, it's a tough balancing act, but we we did our best with it. I, I remember there's a few there's a few characters that just flat out changed their moves or. And there are a few balance changes that we didn't we would make the change and not fully understand what what it means. Like, mm -hmm. I think and, and we had players that agree we did a wit for kill where you kill somebody and it gives you a wit. And the intention behind it was we'll be uh, giving a little extra fuel for somebody who's attacking rather than turtling by the base. Right. But they would just wait for you to attack and then kill all the guys that came to attack. So it was kind of a wash. I, I honestly don't know what exactly that does to the design. I don't yeah. know if it's or not. I know some people that fell off of it after that one because everything started to feel a little more, uh, a little more random in the ways that their plans would work out. Yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting rule. I like that rule just from, a, you know, maybe not a, necessarily a game design perspective, but like a game designer's perspective. Like that to me, that was an interesting rule in that like it definitely played with uh, like um, sort of like um, like a, some kind of positive feedback loop, right? Where like, oh, so I get a kill. So that means I have now more power to, you know, generate more units. And and, and so, uh, but, but it's also, as you say, it also plays into the defensive game in an interesting way um yeah, yeah if they wait for you to attack and then because and, and that couples with being uh with movement costing wits hmm. yeah uh, because it costs them a bunch of money to get over there and then for you to wipe them out is uh is a little less because you didn't have to move as much and then also you get the momentum of the whip for kill and you can bank wits between turns i don't know i'd have to look down <laughs> i have to sit down and play and uh and analyze it i had at one point wanted to go back and be like, Alex, can I just send you a spreadsheet with new numbers and you just plug them in? Is that how it works? <laughs> He's like, no, Adam, that's not how it works. So if you hadn't played uh, turn-based tactics games before, um, what were some of the inspirations that, that led to Outwitters? Um, I liked, uh, I think the classes were from something like, I played a lot of Battle, Battle Star Wars Battlefront 2 hmm. a long time ago. And mm -hmm. AVP too, and they all all had the class based like loadout thing where you didn't make a lot of decisions about who you wanted to be. You just pick one, and the rest of the choices were made for you. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of customizing the character, right? Uh, I thought those I thought those kind of games were cool, so I kind of leaned towards that just out of personal preference. And uh, what else? Like, I, I do you play tabletop board games at all? Yeah, we do. Uh, we do a little bit, but none with combat like this. Mm -hmm. None that none that I think inspired anything significant. Now, Nurushima Hex changed the way that I wanted to approach snipers. I think Nurushima Hex is responsible for the the way that snipers work in Hex Gambit, mm. where they straight trajectories of the hex to reach really far. Mm -hmm. That was one issue I had with Outwitters was that the sniper didn't feel snipery enough, and the uh, and the heavy didn't feel heavy enough. Mm. So uh, so in Hex Gambit, I sort of like changed the way that those are. Uh, the way that this function 
I, I, I'll share with you one of my only, not even a gripe in terms of as a player, but like for from a design perspective, like a weird thing about uh, Outwitters to me is that like, um, so the, it has Fog of War, which like I understand the concept behind Fog of War. I'm actually a huge I fought, fan. I fought for Fog of War like tooth and nail, but I couldn't, I couldn't get Alex to get away from it. Well, I, 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 didn't, like, I didn't like the Fog of War. I, I tend to be a, a fan of Fog of War because it creates like this information horizon. So you only have to like sort of calculate in this certain area and then stuff outside of the fog, you know, like you don't have to, it, it, it releases a lot of tension on the player to like have to like, you know, map every single move out of the game in a sense, especially with those, some of those bigger maps. Is it's the opposite. It creates a lot of anxiety. Well, and, well, okay, so th that 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 makes sense. But like the the other thing that's weird to me about Outwitters and that I I think is true in actually a lot of game, games that have Fog of War is the game has Fog of War. So like let's say you know nominally it needs Fog of War, right? That's why it's there. But then okay. if you build like two or three scout units or something, it like doesn't have Fog of War anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like because <laughs> yeah, like, because they see as far as they can move. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and it's, and well, it's not just that, but they can see a, quite a large range, and the maps are not that big. So like you can pretty easily get to the point where you basically see the entire map. You know what I mean? And uh, I always thought that was an interesting thing. And uh, I took some design thoughts away from that. Like, you know, if Fog of War is important, like it's one thing to not have Fog of War and that's fine. But if Fog of War is important, <clears throat> you should maybe take uh, steps to make sure that there's Fog of War in the game. Like, and that there isn't a situation where like now there's just no Fog of War, right? Well, yeah, the um, the interesting dynamic that that brought in was that the the ones that could see the farthest are the one hit kill guys. So if you spot one, and you knock him out, you know that you have just like completely thrown a shroud over what you're about to do. Hmm. Um, or you can assume that as, as long as there's not another runner somewhere that you don't know about. Right. But the, the Fog of War, I was not a fan of. Alex put it in because he thought that the games played out a little too uh, like predictably when you have perfect information. Yeah. So he just wanted to throw a kink in it and like make some surprises along the way. But I like the perfect information version of it because it created situations like in chess where you can sort of uh like throw a bishop in the middle of stuff and they can't do anything about it like you know you know they have mm -hmm. a limited amount of responses and you've already calculated them and you just like or, or set a little trap that way like bait them into going away that they wouldn't have normally gone i yeah. think there's interesting dynamics with perfect information right and i lost, uh, also i it's also worth noting that like there's still sort of like that kind of input randomness in terms of uh, spawning units. Like I don't know what unit I may know how many wits you have, but I don't know what unit you're going to spawn next turn. So like there's yeah. always at least that coming into the game. So it's you know it's technically not like a perfect information game in the way that like chess is, right? Um, yeah. You, and you Hex could Gambit like goes a step further. Like Hex Gambit, you can look at the board and see like twenty different things that they can do with it, depending on how they arrange their units in the next turn. So it's uh, like you have some idea what they're capable of just off of like that brute has his uh, his wrecker, his big move ready. The cooldown's done for that. Uh, I don't know exactly where he'll be able to go because everybody can bounce off each other's heads like checkers. Mm -hmm. So there's a it's sort of like um, surprises in plain sight. Right. Yeah. Well, very cool. I think that is a replacement for Fog of War. Like you can see everything, but you're not going to see everything coming. Yeah, I, I, for some reason I think about the game Arima. Do you know that game? Um, it's kind of like it's like an ancient abstract. I'm disappointed by how many games that I know. I know like no games. 
Well, this is like not a video game. It's like an old, uh, you know, uh, like chess-like kind of game, but you have two actions per turn. Like picture chess, but you can move two pieces per turn. And there's some other really interesting dynamics, but because of like the combinatorial, you know, properties and, you know, of being able to make multiple uh, actions per turn, uh, like it just, you know, explodes the possibility space and it's really hard to do much look ahead. Um, yeah. I guess that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, that sounds that sounds like the the same thing. Yeah, very cool. Well, I'm really excited for um for Hex Gambit respawned. Uh, is it respawn or respawned? Respawned. Okay. I brought it back from the dead, basically. <laughs> nice. Um, very cool. Well, I'm gonna be following that very much. I'm gonna uh, link to this in the show notes. And uh, is there anything else you wanna uh, plug or talk about before we uh, sign off? Uh, if you like, if you like Outwitters, go check out the demo because um it's it's made for you you kind of people it's pretty different uh it's faster paced and uh it's a little it's a little deeper i think uh, it, i'll leave that up to you but uh it's, it's a lot of fun i'm very proud of it and we got a cool update coming out maybe by the end of the week i uh i just finished a bunch of maps so you don't have to play on the same map anymore although on the demo that won't matter you'll just have one map but my beta testers will have more maps very cool, very cool. Yeah, I will say, like, knowing what you're saying about your vision of uh, Hex Gambit as this, like, same room multiplayer thing, like, that really, like, helps me to understand what you're going for a lot a lot more with it. And I'm really excited to uh, see if I can get that I tweeted going. that it was going to be the... I tweeted that it was the Mario Kart of tactics games once, and it nice. was a little bit like that. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, oh, did you ever play Advance Wars by any chance? Uh, yes, yes, I have played Advance Wars. Okay, just making sure, because that to me is one and of the Fire few examples. Yeah. Right, and Fire Emblem as well. Um, those are two of the only examples, and I guess like there's this Mario Rabbids game um, for Switch. I oh. love Mario's Ra Mario Rabbids, yeah. Oh, okay, cool, yeah, yeah. Well, there's not that many examples of games that like do the sort of like cute, fun, colorful aesthetic, but also are tactical games. And so that's something I'm I'm just always on the lookout for games like that. Because um, like I, I, I'm not a big fan of the like dark, gritty um you know like gears tactics i just played it's a gears of war themed uh yeah. tactics game and i just I'm, I'm that style that like sort of colorless you know realistic sort of gritty thing i i just um it's not as much fun to me uh and i feel like the abstractness of the you know like nintendo kind of art also lends itself to more weird powers and abilities like for example your game has the jumping on each other's heads right and yeah um, that's a huge part of it yeah you can't really do that in like gears tactics like that just wouldn't fly um but it totally does fly like so many things can fly and i think from a game design perspective it's very that's one of the reasons i love like these kinds of like you know chibi like uh sort of silly not taking themselves too seriously um art styles yeah i really liked um what's the what's the Flash Duel. Flash Duel is pretty cool too. Mm -hmm. or I don't know if it inspired anything specifically, but Flash had a fun, colorful art style. That was a fun game. Are you talking about the Serlin uh, card game? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, it's got a board to it too, but it's just like a, a straight linear board. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, actually, you had all these different ways you could play it. Like you could battle the dragon and all this stuff, and it was just little little game type variants. I just kickstarted a game last year called Dragon Bridge, which is similar to Flash Duel. You should check it out. I'll send you a link after the show. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Show me. All right. That's cool. 
All right. Well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Adam Stewart, for coming on the show. And uh, I'll post uh, links in the show notes. And I'm going to be staying super appraised of everything that you're doing and uh, supporting you as best as I can, because I really believe in what you're doing. It's much appreciated. Play the play the demo and then make up your mind, though. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Maybe we'll it's do. not your cup of tea. I don't know. Give it a shot. <laughs> we Will do. I'll let you know. All right. All right. Thanks for having me. See ya.